you read their stuff, but um, uh, Nate put out a, a pretty intense blog this morning about how they had to double their NICU in one day uh, just because of um, the twins and triplets and a multiple bursts that they have coming in. So please be in prayer for, for them as they proceed forward. Uh, God's doing great work, and I, I know from talking with them recently just how overwhelmed they are. So be in prayer for them. Uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Let me set this up just a little bit. We're, we're in a study of Luke, but uh, in my, the way I've had to do it because of Easter and all the different holidays, I've kind of sporadically, I mean, we're looking at Luke every week, but you're not getting like a chapter by chapter step through the book of Luke. I'm trying to look at unique passages, trying to fit it in with the different holiday seasons. So we've just finished a stretch where we've done about Easter and the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the road to Emmaus. And now I'm going back to Luke 10, to what I consider a critical passage, not only in the book of Luke, but also in the life of the church. Uh, Luke 1 through 9, to me, really talks about who Jesus is. And then in chapter 9, you get kind of a, a transition. There's a point in Luke 9 where Jesus is going to the Samaritans and that he's rejected his loving followers uh, ask him if they should call down fire and destroy the whole stinking place. Uh, <laughs> Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. You guys don't kind of get the picture here. Then they, he, he's headed on from Samaria into an, uh, another area. And you have at the end of Luke 9, these three guys who come to Jesus and I want to follow you, sell everything, uh, follow me, let me bury the dead. You know, that I preached on that passage already. So there's this aspect of going from who Jesus is to what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How are we disciples of Jesus? How are we our learners and followers of him? And in Luke 10, we get this profound and rich passage. I'm going to read to you a lot of it. Uh, and, and do the best I can to kind of summarize it. And I'm going to try and cover a topic that's uncoverable in one sermon. Uh, this could be a whole seminar. It could take weeks for us to uncover. But I think there's some critical aspects in Luke 10 that are very important for us. So I'm praying that the Spirit of God will not multiply my words, because then we'd be here all day, but multiply his truth through limited words so that it captures your heart. And if you were here Friday night, men, at the men's prayer, then you know that we, we talked about the Great Commission, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. This critical aspect of being a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And too often in the church, we, we think of being a follower, a learner, is meaning that we just receive and grow, right? Uh, to be a disciple means to receive and grow. But there's this critical aspect of a disciple that's not only receive and grow, but receive and go, right? You, to be a disciple is one who goes. And that is where we're going we're gonna to focus a little bit today 
on what's going on. I, I don't know if you remember from 20, 25 years ago, this movie, City Slickers. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic old movie where Billy Crystal and his buddies go out on a dude ranch and they meet up with this old dude named Curly, who's the ranch hand. And, and you know, Curly keeps saying to them that they just have to keep in mind the one thing, the one thing. And, and he tells them this, you know what the secret of, to life is? One thing, just one thing. Once you figure it out, you stick to that, everything else don't mean anything. He says a little more colorfully than I just quoted him, but go with me here. The, the interesting part of the movie is he never tells him what the one thing is. The whole movie, he says, you got to figure out the one thing. And he never tells him what the one, the idea being you got to figure out what that one thing is for you. Now, fortunately, we don't have to figure it out. Because God has given it to us. This is not a, a you're a perfect whatever you are mentality. Figure the one thing for you and then just go for you and that's all that matters. You know, the, the word of God just kind of comes and goes. You just do you. No, this is not that. This is God has given you the one thing, but we have to focus on the one thing. And if we don't, then we get distracted and we, I think, lose sight of who we are as the church. Again, I'm going to try and keep my words limited because the church has become too many things to so many different people. It's become everything from a cultural center to a gymnastics arena to, um, you know, just a center of learning. The, the, the church is, is, is the purpose and plan of God held up to the glory of God to display to the world his multifaceted glory. That's our one thing. We are here not to build a building, not to have a good time. We are here to display to the world the glory of God. And if we lose sight of that, then we, we've just lost our purpose. Luke 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. I'm going to summarize, and then I'm going to give you an outline. So just hang on. Here we go. But the passage is so good. I want you to follow it if best you can, and just listen to the world, words of Jesus. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you'll go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. Lord, give us insight this morning to not only this passage, but to your purpose and your one thing in our lives to go and make disciples in your authority, in your power, in your might, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me summarize some aspects to this passage that are, it's impossible. This passage is so good and so rich. I want to encourage you to, to take it apart and digest it this week. There's so many different facets to it, but let me just summarize some things for you. All right, so Jesus has these guys. Now, you're thinking he's only got 12. Well, obviously, he's got more, right? He's got 70 or 72. You're like, well, why don't we know? Well, the passage is unclear. I could have Dave come up here and explain it to you, but then that'd be my sermon for the day. It would be Dave explaining why it's 70 or 72. Anyway, the, the point being this. I think there's a direct correlation between the number of 70 or 72 and the number of Gentile nations listed in Genesis chapter 10. It's kind of a side point. There are a lot of 70s and 72s, but there's some symbolism that most scholars believe is going with the number that he's appointing and the aspect, of course, of Luke, who is his purpose is that the gospel is for all mankind, that, that, that correlation the correlation between the two. And he sends them out in pairs. And again, this is one of the reasons we minister in pairs. We believe there's strength in pairs, not individuals. Less, less likely to stumble if you're with someone. So he sends them out together to minister together. And he gives them a mission. He says, go. Go to the harvest. By the way, he talks about praying that... Um, the Lord of the harvest would send, be sending laborers in the harvest. And these 72 guys that he's telling to pray about the Lord of the harvest sending laborers in the harvest, they are the answer to their own prayers. They're the ones. He's saying, pray that the Lord of the harvest send laborers. Oh, by the way, that's you. You're the one, which is all of us. Sometimes we get back like, oh, Lord, send laborers in the harvest. I'm so glad Nate and Cheryl are in Africa and it's not me kind of thing. <laughs> Let them go to the harvest. No, no, no. We are the answer to God's, to the prayer of God for laborers in the harvest. We all have a harvest field. Everyone in this room has a sphere of influence, a harvest field. And he sends them out and he says, he who listens to you listens to me. People, this should make us pause and say, wow, when we speak the gospel, we're not speaking it of ourselves. We're speaking 
the very words of God. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. I mean, it's a, it's a trail. If they reject you, they're rejecting me, they're rejecting God. He goes on. Again, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And then he says to them, go. Again, you're the answer to that prayer. Go. And then, give me a help here, Mary Jo. Thanks. Um, do not greet anyone on the road. What? What? Well, don't greet anyone. Wait, aren't I supposed to be going? And like, he's, he's saying, I think what he's saying here is there is a singularity in purpose. Don't get distracted by small talk. Don't get distracted by telling stories. Oh, look, there's somebody on the road. Let's talk. Hey, what, you know, how did, how did the Crimson Tide do last weekend? Blah, blah, blah. You know, they, you get distracted by different things. And he's basically saying your mission is one thing. Go. Share the gospel. Proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. Okay, I'm going to help myself. I can do this. There are resources. What, is, what does he say? Don't take anything with you. Don't, don't take money. Don't take sandals. Don't take... He's basically saying to him, I want you so utterly dependent on the power of God that you can't, there's no question where this is coming from, where this message is coming from. We started fullness, it, it, the planning stages of fullness started 30 years ago, right about now, during the summer, and it was about a year before we began. So <laughs> I had never planted a church before. I'd never pastored a church before. I never started. So I thought it would be, uh, you know, my, the academic side of me said, I should study about this. If I'm going to start a church, I should know what it is to start a church. So I started reading books on church planting and church growth. I got so depressed. Really. I'm like, you know, they, they would say stuff like, uh, don't ever start a church with less than X amount of dollars and without this number of people. Well, we, you know, the number was always at least 50 to 100 to start a church, and we had 10. So I'm like, well, we're a little under. Uh, we're just we're coming right under the bar. I mean, the more I read, the more I'm like, we have, we do not have the resources to begin this. Um, God says, you know what? You don't need their resources. You need my resources. Tap into what I'm doing, and you'll have plenty. And I think that's part of the message. I mean, the whole church growth, church planting movement, if you look around our country, I mean, we're giving people tons of money, tons of people, tons of time to go out and to replicate. Now, it's not always a bad thing, but the problem is I think too many times we depend on those things and not the power of God. We have to have the power of God. We have to get to the place where anybody could see and say, wow, they, did, they couldn't do this. This had to be God. Their reception, well, it's mixed, right? 
They're going to get a mixed reception. Some places they're going to have peace declared. Some places they're going to need to declare healing. Some places it's going to be demonic and they're going to need to, to, to do a battle. So the, the reception that they're going to get is, is mixed. But their response is they come back and they are happy. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. We're going to talk about this aspect of warfare this morning in evangelism and in the gospel because I think it's critical for who we are to understand warfare. But Jesus is going to say to them something really profound coming up. But their happiness is, this is like the height. The demons even are subject to us. And this passage, as you look at it, it is full of, of words that declare uh, uh, that there's a battle going on. It talks about peace. If peace is in the house, declare peace. Declare the kingdom of God. Why would you need to declare the kingdom of God if there's not another kingdom that, that there's a difficulty with? It declares judgment on cities that don't repent. And Jesus even says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Here's the question people have. When did Jesus see Satan fall like lightning? When? when? Now, don't answer because we don't know. I mean, here are the different opinions. Some, some speculate that maybe when Jesus is saying Satan fell, he's talking about when Satan was originally cast out of heaven. Maybe when he saw Satan fall like lightning was when Satan was defeated at the temptation experience. Maybe when Jesus is saying he saw Satan fall like lightning, it's whenever the followers of Christ come against the demonic and the demonic is cast out and defeated. Maybe it's a future reference to the cross, the resurrection, uh, the ascension, the, the book of Revelation. My opinion is, yep, it's all, I, it could be all, the point is this, there's a, there's a, a thing of Satan being defeated, and the authority of God tramples, tramples the enemy, and he goes on and says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice what? that your names are written in heaven. So let's take this apart just a little bit. And I think that, again, this is one of those, I feel this every week, so don't, don't get overwhelmed. I think this sermon's critical. I think this is like the most important sermon I've ever preached. So hang on and we'll move through it. First point is this. We should expect spiritual warfare. We should expect spiritual warfare. Warfare should never be a surprise to us. Never. We should expect it. He says, what? Go. I'm sending you out like, you're like lambs among wolves. I mean, his whole aspect is, look, you're going to be in a battle. You're, you, there are wolves out there, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They want to take you down. They want you to mold to their view of you. 
again, if you want to read a, a, an interesting book on this aspect of it, I would say John Mark Comer's Live No Lies does a great job of taking apart the world of flesh and the devil and putting it into a modern context. I'd encourage you to read it. But first point is this, people. There's a devil. This is my presupposition on this. There is an enemy. There is a devil. God, there's the enemy. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. We are in a battle. There are no bystanders. There are no grandstanders. There's no one on the sideline. Everyone is involved in the battle. We're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. We don't get to take ourselves out of the battle. We are constantly engaged in this aspect of spiritual warfare. And you should expect it. Listen, too often the pe people within the church are looking for the easy road. I don't want to get engaged in the battle. I want to take the easy path. But Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Go get them, lambs. Lammies, go, go out there and take them on. David Livingston, a famous missionary in Africa, someone from England wrote him and said, hey, uh, let us know where you are and if the roads have been developed enough for us to send people to get to you. David Livingston replied this. He said, if you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. People, it's time for men and women of God to stand up and say, I'm tired of trying to find the yellow brick road and God just let me loose. Show me where you want me to go if there's no road at all and I'll go in your name. Because people, we are in a battle. Listen, if you don't think we're in a battle, just go talk to young adults, young men and women who are fighting against the cultural ideals and norms that you're a perfect whatever you are, you can be whoever you are, versus what the kingdom of light is proclaiming over you and the life that God is trying to instill in you. Listen, <clears throat> let me just say this too. Every point I'm going to give you this morning, I'm going to try and provide a balance to it, okay? Because Jesus says, look, go. You're like lambs among wolves. But you're going to come to some place and you're going to say peace. And the person in the house is going to say peace. So go in and proclaim the gospel in peace. Don't go to a home where they're declaring peace and say, I'm going to cast the demons out of this peaceful house. Do you understand? In other words, there are people who are looking for the demonic behind every bush. But sometimes there's peace. There's people ready to receive. Uh, at another point, he says... It's not demonic that needs it. It's healing. Pray for healing in that place. And there's other place where you're going to need warfare. So get ready for warfare. In other words, we need by the power of the Spirit to read the room. Right? We need to be able to see what God is doing. Now, expect warfare, but don't go out looking for a fight. The fight will be there. Try and Try and ask for discernment about what God is doing in that moment and in that place. But expect spiritual warfare. Point two is this. We've been given authority. 
We've been given authority. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you, what? Authority to do what? Trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Hey, listen, this is not a snake handling passage. This is not that. The, the idea of snakes and scorpions is the demonic. It's the, it's the battle, the warfare we're in. And God has given you authority. Not your authority, his authority. Jesus in the Great Commission again says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? Therefore go. He is, he is giving us authority in order, to, in order to do what he's called us to do. I'm convinced that too often the church tries to do what the church tries to do without the power that God has given us or the authority that he's given us. We try to do it in our own strength and our own might, by our own creativity, by our own means. And um, I think the word of God is powerful and there will still be an effect, but not near like what he's given us. The power to trample, the power to win, the power to defeat the enemy. Brother Andrew, um, in a famous book called The Calling, says this. At the spiritual level, planning means taking the initiative. It's not about sitting around until you're absolutely certain God is calling you to a particular task, direction, country, or ministry. Nor is it waiting for the doors to open so you can go there easily. Planning is an act of faith. Jesus, Jesus never told his disciples to wait for an invitation. He told them to go. Go. I come from a, a period of time where everything it seems like was taught to me was like, plan it out, work your plan, evaluate your plan, hope that your plan was right, kind of thing. You know what I mean? You're just, it was all about the planning and execution of your plan. Listen, there's something about it, walking in the authority of God and just going as he proclaims you to go that'll give you might and power, that you'll see effects that none of your planning could could really take place. I've talked about this before. The world's model is predict and plan. Predict, then plan to meet your prediction. Problem is, is if your prediction is wrong, then all your planning is futile. Instead, what God calls you to do is prepare, get ready, go, and then participate with him at every moment of every day in his authority, by his might, in the power of his spirit. George Shultz was a, a famous Secretary of State under Ronald Reagan. Secretary of States, they help ambassadors and do that. So whenever a new ambassador was appointed to a country, uh, George Shultz would call him in his office and uh, spin the globe and say, show me your country. And without fail, the guy going to you know, India or Ghana or whatever would look on the globe and he could find his country. 
And he'd point to it and he said, this is, this is my country, this is my country, this is my country. One day, Mike Mansfield, who had been Speaker of the House, was appointed um, uh, ambassador to Japan. And George Schultz went around and he spun the globe and he said to Mike Mansfield, show me your country. And Mike Mansfield went up and put his hands on the United States and he said, this is my country. This is my home. This is my authority. And George Schultz said this. He said, I've told... I've told that story subsequently to all the ambassadors going out. Never forget you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. You're there to represent us, take care of our interests, and never forget it, and you're representing the best country in the world. Now, here's the point. We are strangers in a strange land. We are ambassadors for Christ in the world around us. We are, we're, this is not our home. This is not our country. This is where we are right now, but we're acting in the authority and might and power of God in the world around us. Too often, we as followers have become not ambassadors or sojourners or strangers, but we have become comfortable and at home in the country around us. Hello? We, we like it. It feels good to be at home. Rather than realizing our purpose, our plan is to share the glory of God. Listen, <clears throat> I, I'm not going to be ugly, but I'm going to be a little blunt. There are tons of places you can go, churches you can be a part of, that will say to you, hey, just grow slowly in the Lord. Do this, do that. You, you're not going to have any problems God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be comfortable. God wants you to be wise. And I'm telling you, that's not what God is calling you to. I'm just going to blunt out say it. You are called to be an ambassador. You are called to be a warrior in Christ. And he's not left you without weapons. He's given you his authority. He's given you your power. And now he says go. Now, let's balance this out a little bit. What do I have authority over? Now, I, I don't have, this is where the whole seminar thing starts to get. So if, I've, if I'm God's ambassador and I have authority, why can't I go out and rebuke the spirit of abortion over our entire city? If I've got the authority, the power of God, the power of Jesus, why can't I go out and just take care of the spirit of murder or, or, or the hatred or the racism or the... Do you know, you never really see that in the New Testament. The battle is in the one-on-one. -on -one. The battle is where you confront the powers of darkness and the enemy. And it's at that point God gives you the authority. You don't even see Jesus like, I cast out the spirit of religion over this country. I mean, if anybody could do it, he could do it, right? But instead, when he comes across religious spirits, it's at that point he takes care of them. When he comes across the demonic the legion, the whatever. That's the authority he walks in. So, listen, so most of us are over here not acting in what authority we've been given. Most people are not overacting, you know, like overreaching their authority, but there are some. And you know what I've experienced? The people who overreach, they usually get the heck beat out of them because they're out from under what God has called them to do and what he's given them. 
and the war is not winnable. It's like they've established some sort of battle of their own in a country that God has not said they're allowed in. So the balance is this. You've got to recognize your authority. Most of us in this room, 99% of us, we need to walk in more authority, not less. So, but in faith, step out in the authority that God has given you to act in the world around you. Know that God has given you authority. And the third point is this. We should aim for the greater joy. The disciples come back and what do they say? This is awesome. Even the demons. We're so happy. We're casting out demons. To them, that was like the pinnacle, right? This is the, we're doing great. We're, we've got a deliverance ministry that's unbelievable. And they're celebrating. And he's not saying don't celebrate. If, walk in joy. But don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Jesus is kind of like saying, this isn't that big a deal. You know, we think of it as like graduate school. And Jesus is saying, that's not where your joy is. That's not where you should be happy. But instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The greater battle is not that the enemy can be defeated. The greater battle is that God has risen you from the dead. God has made you alive in Christ. God has placed his presence in power. Your names are written in the book of heaven. You have a relationship with God. Aim for the greater joy. Why is it we don't have joy? Why too often are we just all beat up and beat down? Maybe it's because we don't know we don't know the joy of what it means to have our names written in heaven. That we are, in fact, children of God. You're a child of God. You can call God Father. That you're a co-heir with Christ. I mean, I'm, I could list a hundred of these, right? Of why we should be. That you're a recipient of his grace. That you have overcome. How? By the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and the fact that you are a sheep among wolves. You don't love your life even to the point of death. That allows us to be overcomers. Listen, this whole, the mission, the going is critical. We have to step out in faith to go. But in going, we need to understand that we're involved in a battle, but that we've been given the authority to overcome. And no matter what the world does to us, we have a greater joy because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That should give us the confidence to say the enemy can't do anything to me here. He, can't, he may take my body, but he can't have my spirit, my soul. Therefore, I go in his might and his name. Do you know what happens after this? Jesus, he just can't help himself. I didn't read this passage to you, but I'm going to read it to you. And I'm not even going to put it on the screen. I really want you to listen. Jesus is overwhelmed with joy. When he, he says this to them, and it's just like, boom. And at first he prays to God. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father. He just breaks out into a song of praise. I'm sending these lambs out among wolves. They come back and they report what they've done, but praise him Praise you, Father, that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed to them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. You know what he's saying? He's, he was hidden. All throughout the ages has been hidden. The wisest, the smartest, the richest, they wanted to know what these guys have seen, but these idiots, they get to see it. These little children in faith, they're the ones who experience this. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He's revealed himself to these children. And then he turns to his disciples and says privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. It's, I can't even do this passage justice. In the fact that God in human flesh breaks out in joy because he knows these guys' names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That they, they have victory. Not because of themselves, because... They're just kids. They're just children. But because of the revelation of the Spirit of God uncovering who God is in Jesus. It should cause us to <coughs> excuse me, go from this place empowered. It should cause us to go from this place in faith. It should cause us to go from this place saying, God, give me wisdom to declare peace where I need to declare peace, pray for healing where I need to pray for healing, and deliverance where I need deliverance, but may I, in everything I pr proclaim the gospel. And by the way, if you're going out two by two, and this is a side point, if you get to a place where you need healing, you don't just go find somebody, oh, I need to go find somebody with the gift of healing. No, you do what you, is necessary in that moment because God's spirit indwells you. If you need deliverance in that moment, don't go, don't go looking for a deliverance guy. Stand up against the enemy by the power that God has given you. Now, you, you may not know it, you, but you have, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's the power of God that's at work within you. That's who, that's who you are. See yourself as a disciple of Jesus. It'll change the world. When you come to this table, this table, and celebrate the blood and body of Christ, this table is a reminder of who you are. When you come here, this is not just some religious ritual you go through. This is, you come to the table and say, God, I remember. I remember your death. But in fact, what you're saying is, I know who I am because I know who is in me. When you come to this table, you are declaring the battle's been won. This is a table of victory. When you come to this table, you're refocusing on the grace of God in your life. When you come to this table, you're living out the greater joy that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. May I walk out this joy in faith every moment of every day.
Lord, we thank you that as we come to the table of the Lord, that your might and your power is on display for the world to see because your glory is working through us. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Lord, I pray that we will be followers of Jesus Christ, that we will walk in the authority that you've given us. We will battle on behalf of the kingdom of light and that, God, we would always walk in the incredible joy that's declared in this table that, that by your blood, by your stripes, I've been healed. By your broken body, me, who was just an outcast, is now a part of the family of God and the family of faith. Lord, as we come to this table, may we meet you here in grace and in fullness and in power and in vision, declaring the victory is won. In Jesus' name, amen.